listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, April the 17th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. And being a Wednesday, it's Bible Study Wednesday. Congregations may be meeting at 9.30 to hear me talk for about a half hour, followed by a discussion on their part. And the text we're going to be looking at today is Psalm 22. Now, why do we choose Psalm 22? Well, tomorrow's Monday, Thursday, followed by Good Friday. And, of course, last week we took a look at Isaiah 53. And if you listen closely, you couldn't but help see Jesus everywhere in Isaiah 53. Well, in regard to the cross, again, we have another Old Testament passage, Psalm 22. It's entitled to the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a Psalm of David. Now, we believe the doe of the dawn probably refers to a melody that was used through which this psalm was sung. But who cannot forget the first verse? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This psalm was stated more than once in the synagogue during worship. And it just really surprises me that those who heard Jesus say these words from the cross seemed to be unaware that it was coming from Psalm 22. This psalm is a beautiful prediction and fulfillment at the cross of what is going to happen. Jesus even explains, after he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As to what forsaken means. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Now, there's no doubt that human beings here on earth, and even Christians, sometimes feel this way. It may have been because of the death of a loved one or from a disease that you're told that you have or maybe some misfortune that occurred in your life and you pray to God to save you with the words of your groaning and it just appears that God isn't listening to you. Now, that forsakenness was true about Jesus. He truly was forsaken by the Father because he had your sins on his shoulders at the cross. But never are we forsaken by the Father who trusts in Jesus for our salvation. Being forsaken can either be a real event or it can be part of our imagination based on our feelings. And a lot of times, every time that you feel forsaken by God, if you are a Christian, it is always based on your emotions, on your feelings, not the word of God. The fact that Jesus was truly forsaken means that God will always be answering us. Now, certainly, certainly, 
At night, people cannot sleep because they can find no rest as they think of all the problems that are occurring in their life, and it appears that God is not responding to them. But that is not true. God is responding, but in his own time. Remember, how many centuries was it from the time of Eve who heard that she would bear one who would lead to the Messiah? She thought it was Cain. Well, it wasn't. It took centuries before Gabriel told Mary that she would be the final one who would be the mother of God. It's very important to understand that even as Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is saying, my God, my God. And verse 3 is somewhat indicative of his faith. Yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. Now, what does that mean? It means that what is happening to you in your life is not from an unholy God. God is holy, which means he is perfectly righteous, which means whatever he permits to happen, he has a purpose for it. And according to Romans 8, 28, it will work out to your good. Jesus, in verse 4, in you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were were not put to shame. What's Jesus talking about? Yes, He is forsaken on the cross, but three days later, he will not be put to shame as he is rescued and delivered. So there is, even in Psalm 22, a recognition on the part of Jesus that, yes, I'm being forsaken by the Father, something that will never happen to a Christian who has faith, but Even I, who am forsaken, will be delivered, will be rescued. And his evidence is that the fathers of Israel trusted, and God delivered them. Remember when they went around the city of Jericho? And those in Jericho thought, there's no way that this little band of Israelites is going to be able to control us, destroy us, have victory over us. But the walls came tumbling down. We return to Jesus at the cross. Verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. The worm is the lowest of creatures. And people just don't like worms. And that's why they're holding Jesus in contempt. They don't treat him as a man. They treat him as a worm. He's scorned and he's despised by the people. In fact, even the Romans make fun of him. Verse 7. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. 
let him rescue him, for he delights in him. That's a direct quotation from the scripture where people are saying he doesn't really going to be delivered. Let him trust in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him, for he delights in him. It reminds us again of the Isaiah 53 passage where the people thought that the punishment Jesus was experiencing was from God the Father for his own sins, for his own blasphemy, for his own teaching. But no, Psalm uh, Isaiah 53 makes clear, by his stripes we are healed. And the Lord has laid on him our iniquity so that he can suffer for it. But the people say, hey, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. Verse 9. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Now, here what he's talking about, of course, is that this also applies to David, who was reliant on God. In other words, even from his birth, he is one whom God is taking care of through his mother. So verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. See, this is the distinction between what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane and what happens on the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus asked that that particular horrible time in the garden where he was sweating drops of blood and he was near death, that that would pass from him, God answered that prayer in sending him an angel. But here on the cross, there is no angel. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Jesus is totally isolated. We're going to talk about that a little bit tomorrow. Now, one of the emails we're responding to is whether or not Hell is a place of solitary confinement. And we'll respond to that tomorrow with Wes Reimnitz. Verse 12. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. Now, why Bashan? Well, that was a grazing area east of the sea of Chinneroth, and it was really famous for producing large bulls. And you know what happens in some countries where you have a matador attempting to kill a bull. And the larger they are, the more dangerous they are. In fact, Jesus describes them in verse 13. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. 
So he's describing what he is experiencing on the cross. Is there more to come? Well, absolutely. Look at verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. Have you ever had a situation like that? I kind of watch detective movies, enjoy those. And it's always interesting when the police come to a home to inform the parents that their daughter has been killed for one reason or another, perhaps a car accident. And oftentimes the mother simply just so breaks down that she can't even keep standing. And she almost faints. That's what Jesus was going through on the cross. Well, the mother is in grief over her child. What was Jesus in grief over? He was in grief not over the pain. Many had died in the crucifixions. He was in grief over his father forsaking him. He continues, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. That's really important because of the words that Jesus says from the cross, one of them is a fulfillment of this passage. It's the words, I thirst. In fact, remember at the beginning of the crucifixion, Jesus refuses to take any liquid because he knows that that, is, has, that has to be one of the prophecies fulfilled, that he thirsts. And so he waits to the end when he himself can announce, I thirst. And at that point, he gives up the spirit and he dies. Because all of the prophecies of the Old Testament, particularly in regard to his crucifixion, have been fulfilled. And so, therefore, one can say the word I thirst is a word of fulfillment. Verse 16. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. And in case you're wondering who is he talking about, listen to the next line. They have pierced my hands and feet. So where he earlier compared his enemies to bulls, he now uh, likens them to a pack of wild dogs attacking the helpless victims. And there's no doubt that when David was inspired to write these words, namely, they have pierced my hands and feet, He was talking about a form of execution that had not yet been invented at the time that he wrote that. That was the crucifixion. I mean, you you can't read Isaiah 53, you can't read Psalm 22 without jumping to the conclusion that this is all talking about Jesus. Verse 17 continues. I can count all my bones, they stare and gloat over me. You can imagine the Pharisees 
who were unbelievers, they did not appreciate Jesus' message. Uh, They were afraid that if he kept on talking, the Romans would come in and take away their kingdom. So there's a real specific thing, namely piercing hands and feet. That doesn't occur when your head is cut off or either when you are hung, but it does occur on the crucifixion. Listen to the next line. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That is specifically fulfilled in what Jesus said, where the soldiers divide, but then when they came to his tunic, it was woven throughout, and they didn't want to tear it apart, so they cast lots for it. So who would receive it? Verse 18, a clear clear description of what is happening at the cross. 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So now he uses all three animals here that he's already talked about two of them, namely that his precious life will be saved from the power of the dog, and that's where he was talking about that dogs encompass me, rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen, that's new, but save me from the mouth of the lion and... That's how he described the bulls of Bashan in verse 15, uh, 13. They opened their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Jesus actually does that at the cross. His last words, Father, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And then he gets back to the people to whom he's been preaching and speaking. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. Now what's Jacob and Israel? Well, that is, of course, the tribe from which Jesus came, the tribe of Jacob. The offspring of Jacob and those who are offspring of Israel, according to Romans chapter 9, are those who trust the promises given to Abraham about the coming of the Messiah. And in trusting those promises, guess what? You are saved. So this next message is really also for the readers of Psalm 22, verse 24. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. That's because he's a holy God. He's not just going to afflict you for no reason. He'll allow affliction, but in order to bring you into a closer relationship with him. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard has heard when he cried to him. 
From you comes my praise in the great congregations. My vows I will perform those who fear him. And then he indicates that as the Lord delivers us, listen what happens. 26. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And then verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Uh, no, clearly, it doesn't say that every person is going to worship him, but all the families of the nations will have people who worship him. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Uh, the way we often hear about that, he's got the whole world in his hand. So, those who trust in Jesus are referred to as the prosperous. And 29 says, All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. And remember, that's stated in the New Testament, that every knee shall bow to Jesus even those of unbelievers. The devil also, although he with unbelievers will remain in hell forever, he will have had victory over him because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. You'll also have posterity. Verse 30, Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. And see, that was the message of Matthew 28. Go therefore to the disciples, Jesus said, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all things that I have told you. That was the task of Jesus, not only to preach and teach, but to bear upon himself the sufferings where the Father forsook him. It continues in, in the last verse of Psalm 22, 31. They shall proclaim, come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Now, the unborn can be understood in one of two ways. It can refer to those children who are yet not born, but it can also refer to what Jesus said. Remember to Nicodemus, you need to get and be reborn. Nicodemus says, what, I got to get back in my mother's womb? No, Jesus says, you're reborn by water and the Spirit. And every time we bring a child to be baptized, we are proclaiming the righteousness of God now being received to a child, an infant, who is yet unborn in the spiritual sense, but will be born in the spiritual sense. And the last line, that he has done it. 
What what a beautiful way to end Psalm 22. Talking all about Jesus on the cross, and yet it's the big distinction often made between every religion in the world and Christianity. Every other religion in the world is a do religion. You have to do something. But Christianity is a done religion. God has done everything. He will never forsake you because he forsook his son for your sakes. On our last broadcast of Long Gospel for Holy Week, we're going to be responding to some emails, Wes Reimnitz and I, so please join us, and we'll be back live on Monday. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.